I'm Adam Rappaport. Welcome to the Bon Appetit Foodcast. Joining me today is writer, author, essayist, Gabrielle Hamilton. Wow, I don't even rank a chef anymore. I, for, I forgot that you That's also own so a restaurant. <laughs> this is good. I'm trying to change identities. You've done a remarkably good job at like becoming a writer. You think? I do think so, yes. And I, I've, oft, I've described as you this way before in the magazine and elsewhere that you're an annoyingly good writer. <laughs> uh, and it really bothered you. Like, wait, she's a chef, but she's such a good writer. Um, but in your mind, you were thinking writing before you ever got into cooking, yes? Like going back back when you were a youngster? Yeah, I always wanted to be a writer, but I didn't know you could make a living at it. And I still don't know if you can. <laughs> but um, yeah, I had to have a job. So I've always worked in kitchens, but always wanted to write it all down. And um so more and more so, that's happening. And you, and you studied writing when you were younger, correct? Is that correct? I have been in of? every writing class <laughs> there ever has been, yeah. You're a successful chef as well. You own Prune Restaurant here on in New York's East Village and have for 16 years. Oh, my God. We'll be 16 in October. Uh, yeah. Which is a little insane. But, I mean, what's interesting, what I think about just in terms of writer, obviously becoming a chef and a successful one sort of gave you – I guess, kind of the platform to become a successful writer. I mean, is that fair to say? Yeah, I think I got my first paid writing gig because I had a restaurant. Yeah. And chefs and food are all the rage, I guess. They're a lot of rage. We depend on them. <laughs> they have, you know, captured the world's imagination for whatever reason. So um, right place, right time. You uh, you wrote and published uh, Blood, Bones, and Butter, a, a memoir. Um, it was kind of a, your life growing up in Pennsylvania, moving to New York City, getting into catering, open a restaurant uh, in 2011. Um, did your agent or other people argue otherwise? Like, hey, do a cookbook first, and then you can do this sort of more artsy project? Like, how, What was that process like? No, the only argument uh, or suggestion that people gave me emphatically was to include recipes in the memoir which you did not adamantly vehemently did not i wanted to uh keep the form pure and i didn't want to sell the book um for the sort of added bonus material like oh you know the writing's not that good but you get a recipe yeah. for chicken so <laughs> you know you might as well pay the 26 dollars and buy the book i wanted to sink or swim um on the merits of the writing and not because there was the added material. So I said no to recipes. And then later, when I wrote the cookbook, it became very obvious that all I needed to do was to write recipes because I had already written every story, anecdote, forward, um, lively head note for any recipe that I could possibly yeah. have created in Blood, Bones, and Butter. So the cookbook just became... Um, just cooking. Let's go. Let's just get to the food here now. Blood, Bones, and Butter is a very personal book. And you you go there. And it's interesting. You wrote an essay when we relaunched the magazine in May 2011. You wrote a beautiful essay about your Italian mother-in-law. And, and the very first sentence is, until we split up, I spent every summer for 10 years accompanying my then-husband to his family home in Italy. Um, you're not afraid to share your personal life. Does that just come naturally? Or do you, do you think twice before what you what you write about yourself and your people the people in your life well i think twice thrice quadruple eight times you have to be very careful with that material so it's a um uh it's a craft you have mm -hmm. to have a tight hold on the reins 
of the personal information that you're going to reveal. It gives people the impression that they know everything about you. I yeah. meet people all the time and like, oh, I know your whole, I know everything about you. And I think that's the art. You let people think that. And in fact, they only know what you are willing to let them know about yourself. But I also think it's a, a disservice to each other to not tell each other the truths of mm. our lives. And I have never understood why we might withhold from each other. I mean, yeah, you've been married. It'd be nice if you told other people what it's like to be married. <laughs> well, I mean, well, it's funny. Or, I mean, I, or if you've ever been unhappily married, like I, I uh, <laughs> it, it, in my in my editor's letter every month, I write a lot about my wife Simone, who you know, um, uh, he used to live around the corner from your from Prune back when she lived on Ludlow Street as a, a young struggling artist, uh, and spent a lot of time in your restaurant. Um, and I'm always writing about her just because, well, that's. I'd see her every day. She's part of my life. If you're writing about your life, it's hard not to write about the people in your life, uh, for right. better or worse. And or... they have to consent. Yes. So that you have to make sure you must do that. I mean, I did that and do it all the time. I run the copy before it ever makes the light of oh, day do you? by the people who are going to oh, be in it. That's so big of you. Well, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to do that kind of um, gotcha. Yeah. No. This um, I'm just, surprise. Look what's in the bookstore. <laughs> I, I'm just a magazine writer writing 386 word uh, little editor's letter with the recipe. So yeah. Well, with uh, 40 billion people going to yes. read that. So. Um, but then, don't they want you to change stuff? Then? Sure. And I do. And you do. Do oh. you ever say like, no, this is. I think it needs to stay this way. I do. If it's um, uh, completely accurate and true and try to write down exactly what happened and the reader can decide whether it's pejorative or positive or it's not for me to say and I think you can pick the words yeah. <laughs> in just the right way where it speaks for itself the level of <laughs> unattractiveness in someone else if I ever am gonna put that down on the page can only match what I'll say about myself mm. so I'll go as far as I'm willing to go about myself. Does that make sense? Yeah, so, yeah no, um, totally. As I can be unattractive, um, objectively speaking, I will reveal that, and I'm willing to take others with me yeah. <laughs> to the point that I'm willing to reveal myself. Have you ever, have you ever looked back in these last five years and thought, "Wow, what if I didn't write blood, bones, butter? What if what if I was still just a chef? Would you be okay with that, or do you did you really feel like this is something I needed to personally do?" Uh, I, I mean, of course I needed to do that. I, I need to die having, um, tried really hard to do all the things that I want to do. I don't want to just sit around and not get it done and yeah. then kind of roll into the grave like, well, should have tried a little harder. <laughs> <laughs> no, I want to cross it off. I want to, um, do all the things. We were just talking off air, as we say, and you said you were, uh, just had a, a nice residency at. Yato up in uh, in Saratoga. I had three weeks at this. I mean, I think it's totally prestigious. Yato, yeah, just artist residency. But um, up in Saratoga Springs in upstate New York, and it's just in the summertime, just gorgeous. And there's obviously the very famous old uh, racetrack there, and and Hattie's Chicken Shack, great fried chicken, oh, and great. And the um, melons from Hands and Mitchell London croissants are in town. Uh, yes. I didn't go to town. That was not what I did. I sat in my beautiful studio with the screened-in porch and wrote my freaking brains out. What What were you writing? Well, I didn't know what shape it would take, but it seems like it might be another memoir. Ah. Maybe not. It might be epistolary. I can't quite tell the shape, but what I realized is that when I wrote Blood, Bones, and Butter, it really was guided by the food. 
it had to be, I knew why I got invited to write a book and I knew it had to be food saturated. Yeah. And I kind of, you know, piggybacked on all this other stuff about life. So, oh, so you, so you, you'll just, you'll start writing without like a totally blueprinted out template of where it's oh. going to go and all that sort of stuff. Oh my God. That's a joke. That's not who you are. I mean, I don't know who is. Writing is always, um, you know, as they say, an act of discovery. For me, certainly. Not for you, of course. I you, think, well... I mean, you have an idea, but then you sit down and... Yeah, it's interesting. Just, jokes on you. I think part of that creative process is, you know, before you get it right, you kind of have to get it wrong. You've got to work through it. And because it, it, it's almost like if you get it right off the bat, it's, it's as if you haven't really investigated. You haven't dug deep at all. You just sort of like, okay, this is good. And I'm just going to run with this. Well, so I, I'm curious. So you're a very descriptive writer and and what I think, not like in a sort of hackneyed adjective, adjectival sort of way, but in interesting just descriptives and metaphors and stuff. Um, and I, my question is, is, is that something you, you you write and then you go back and sort of tweak them and ratchet them up? Or do those, I remember like I've mentioned this before and you're in Blood Bones Butter and you were describing how thin these sheets of pasta were and ravioli and it was like seeing a woman behind a shower curtain where you can see the shape but not all the details and that that was what they filling in the ravioli looked yeah like. i think it's like painting a car or maybe a painting i don't paint so i don't really know but you know you get some crap down on the page you get some architecture down and you have to let that sit there for a minute and then you go back and you put some muscle into it mm -hmm. and um carve away some of the crap and then you have to come back again i do i come back again and think Mm, can we put a little poetry in here? This yeah. needs a little so you lift. Tune it up and yeah, you and that's when you it. put your super sweet glossy yeah. <laughs> paint on. Or, um, you know, I'm mixing all the metaphors here, but no, it's, no. I have noticed. Um, <laughs> I will say, particularly in magazine writing, you don't get the time to let the paint dry. And <laughs> I'm always reading my crap in the magazine later, thinking, God. Can if you just had a few yeah. more minutes. Well, try internet writing where you expect to post <laughs> six times a day. Um, yeah. It was I funny. I'm, I'm looking. I, I copied a couple we have of your prune cookbook, uh, which is a beautiful book. And so if, for listeners who haven't uh, bought it, um, it's a cookbook from your restaurant. But uh, no, as you said, no personal stories, but just you you talk, you write about the cooking, the dishes themselves in a very sort of shorthandy, descriptive sort of way and with advice and little stickies and whatnot uh, to the home cook. The the book is strictly recipes and all of the protocol, all of the directions on how to um, get the job done. They themselves tell stories in a way if you read all the way through. Well, yeah. See, that's um, what I thought was fascinating because at, at Bon Appetit, one thing we always struggle with is recipes have to be very precise and very clear and they have to be formulaic and consistent from one month to the next and there's always space constraints. Um, and what I love about your book and just you know, is, is the, the language you use, um, you know, and just, I'm, I'm looking at a recipe for deviled eggs, which most people would think is kind of the most straight ahead thing. But if you get into the details, there's, there are a lot of details. And yeah. then the question is, well, how do you describe those details? And I love, you know, you say you arrange eggs in the basket of the spider and gently lower them into the boiling water. And then this is a great tip. This way, they won't crack from free-falling to the bottom of the pot when you're adding them. And that happens to me all the time. You drop them in the pot, they hit, and they crack, and that white starts to ooze out, and it solidifies, and you're like, oh! Looks like white, glossy fungus yeah, coming out of it. Yeah, it's not pretty. <laughs> and then this is cool. Then you say, if thoroughly cooked, drain the eggs, and then rough them around in the dry pot to crackle their shells all over. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. You can hear it almost. You can see the shells crackling, um, and you're shaking them. 
uh, I don't know if that was, I was just like stuff like that. It becomes very visual and it becomes very accessible, I think, to the home cook. They're like, oh, yeah, I can see that. I can smell it. I can feel that. Yeah. I mean, I don't think you want to throw any um, $20 words in there where they're not needed, but I. I you wasn't... had one $20 word in here, which I had never heard before. Oh, which one? This one, you have the, the food processor. I don't know. I mean, I'm just dumb. If you don't already, <laughs> if, you, if you don't already know, you can stick your middle finger up into the punt of the processor bowl while scraping out the contents with the spatula. Punt? Punt? I don't, I don't know that word. Do you? Dude, you know the punt of a wine bottle. Oh, that's the little thing you can put the thumb in at the bottom like when the waiters pour it all fancy. I didn't know that. That's, I've never worked in a restaurant. I have worked in a restaurant, but I was a busboy in a bar back. I was never allowed on the floor. So I never poured anyone wine. I never qualified to that that's that level. Uh, it's true. I, I've written about this, and it's my one great regret in, in my life is never becoming a waiter. Okay. I mean, I yeah. Okay. I, <laughs> I was very glad to discover the opportunity for language in the cookbook, so that it's not just completely dry. Um, turn it to the left. Fifteen minutes. Yeah. The 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 cook needs visual markers when they have succeeded or gone too far, um, uh, things to follow. So it was, for me, a happy coincidence that the reader needs that, and I like to find the right yeah. words. And, and, and it's um, great. I think you do a great job with that. I think in April Bloomfield's cookbooks, she uh, and JJ, her co- co-author, do a really good job with that. Um, but I love, yeah, you want, it's cooking. It should be hands-on, visceral process. It should not be exacting 15 minutes turn off it's like well maybe 15 minutes is enough what does it smell like what does well, it look right. like right and it depends on the product in front of you and the the thing is the this cookbook is written completely to my cooks and i have to get them to land on the mark each time i mean i can't have it be like well no honey you cook it the way you do it or but each time is a little different based on the temperature the humidity so all those sort language. of things that's yeah. why there's so much um hey Look for this. And if this happens, do this. Hey, please pay attention to the product in front of you. Sometimes, I, I mention it probably 40 times in that book, not every clove of garlic has the same pungency and potency. So yeah. can you please check what you're working with and adjust accordingly? Because you, great... you can have those ones that yeah. are on fire and then others that are sort of like dull. So Did you realize when you opened Prune 16 years ago that such a big part of your job would be teaching people how to cook at no. the restaurant themselves that they're not coming in ready to nail it nope it took me forever to figure out that that was my job and i'm sure there were some gruesome years in year in there when i didn't understand what my role was supposed to be and i wasn't getting it done and then i finally understood i was like oh people here need to be taught but i think also what happened is that the caliber of line cooks has changed over time that you used to get quite experienced cooks yeah. who would just come in and ply their trade in your establishment and you just pay them and it's a done deal and now i think what's happened i think the um there are so many restaurants it's not even tenable and so there's just a dearth of qualified line cooks no one's now. getting enough time yeah. no one is getting enough time to learn how to cook so you have to really 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 teach people and people are going into positions that they have no business yeah. being in like the 21 year old sous chef who should really be in garde manger for another two years um in in my own restaurant yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i do it all the time um you traveling at all? I read something about you becoming an Italian citizen. Is that true? I did. I, That's crazy. I became a 
True Italian. I'm a citizen through marriage. Yep. Uh, that's exciting. Are you, have you been in Italy this summer? Are you going? I went. Uh, I was there in the spring. We just taped these episodes of Minds of Mind of a Chef. Which we're so, gonna, that's good segue, Gabrielle. Oh yeah, and another thing. <laughs> and you're going to be on TV. <laughs> so I was in Italy for I don't know maybe ten days. That was really great. Uh, let's talk about Mind of a Chef. Um, beautiful series on PBS. Uh, documents sort of chefs and how they live and what they do. Um, and uh, what's in their mind? What's the in their mind? The contents of yeah. their mind. And it's and it, with you. Is it eight part series? It's or? eight eight episodes. Yep. Which is super awesome. excited. I had so much fun doing it. I worked so hard. It was really good. What uh, What made you decide to to do it? To say, like, hey, uh, this is a show I I do want to do. I want to mm. commit to this. Yeah. Have you seen it? I mean, I think mm. I'm so glad that I. Yeah that I waited. I really have not done that much television because it's not that appealing to compete or, yeah. you know, cut throats or whatever the hell you're supposed to do on the television. But it's, it's, but it's very but hard to one, make it as a chef these days and not do TV. I know. You know? Well, I am still not on Facebook and I'm still not Instagramming and I'm here to say that you can live a full yeah. life and have a chef career <laughs> and advance. And becoming an Italian citizen. And, uh, um, <laughs> Have joy, and um, you can know the world. You don't have to do it this way. You can hold true if you don't want to do those things. But that program is filled with beauty and art and um, glitter and uh, substance and breadth, and I thought that is for me. And they gave me so much... um, freedom to tell the truth and you know i my my eight episodes are arguing pretty much that i guess everyone thinks the mind of a chef is fully occupied with food and i'm here to say that actually <laughs> it's about 20 percent food and the rest is plumbing payroll the toilet the electricity <laughs> the refrigeration uh yeah how uh, much you're failing your family and your children yeah <laughs> um, and then when do we know when your episodes will air? Yeah, they start September um, 6th, I think. Well, that's awesome. All right. Well, Gabrielle Hamilton, thank you for coming by. But before you go, we have to do our lightning round. Oh, I'm terrible at these, but okay. Oh, yeah. So it's an either oh, or. Shit. Either or. It's pretty easy, but you have to answer. I wish we had done some drugs or yeah, something. Yeah, well, okay. we can do those afterwards. But, you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll touch on some things from... Prune and Brunchville that Prune can be and your travels and, 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 and whatnot. Starting off easy, scrambled or omelet? Oh, scrambled. Really? Like a real tender scrambled? Please yeah. say yes. Soft scrambled. When do you know to take those the eggs off off the pan, off the heat, you know? They have they glisten. Mm. Auto grill or Waffle House? Oh, auto grill. She's like, yeah. One of the most incredible creations on earth. <laughs> Um, green juice or Brodo? Oh, Brodo. Brodo. I love how you're so like, ah, yeah, obviously. Duh. Hashtag obs. <laughs> Have you been to Marco Canora's Brodo bar? Not yet. Not yet, but you do like a good broth. I do. You, you make a good broth. I do it That's all the time. You, yeah, you serve, it's yeah. a cure-all. When I'm not feeling well, I'll just chug a lug. Espresso or matcha? Espresso. Espresso. Do you take any sugar or anything in it or just straight or how do you? It's funny. I don't really drink either. Um, but I would definitely put a little hot water in the espresso and go down the hatch. All right. It's a funny one. Manhattan or Brooklyn? Manhattan. Manhattan. I just love she, she's like, yeah, you're, that, that's how we know you, how long you've been around that you're still like, I'm into Manhattan. That's how I, yeah. Like everyone, everyone else, like I, I'm like the only person I know who still lives in Manhattan. Oh, 
I live in Manhattan. Yeah. Well, thank you. God it's not. You. It's it's just it's um you didn't move to New York to move to Brooklyn. Thank I'm you. telling I've you. Said the same thing myself. <laughs> but people just look at me like, who are you? How old are you? I'm like, oh, well, whatever. Don't worry about it. Uh, Cardoon or Puntarelli? Mm. Oh, Sorry. this is the first one. I really love them both. I'm gonna have to take both. I can't. What? I can't oh. do either or. Okay, give me this. Tell me how you prepare e- each of them. I. <laughs> Blanch the cardoon a couple of times to get some of that bitter out and then braise it with fresh shell beans and a ton of mint and butter and chicken stock. And wow. the punterelle, which you can't really get here. Do the Italians say punterelle or punterelle? No. They, they say, say punterelle. They, that's the beauty of the Italian language. You, If it's in front of you on the page, you say every letter that you yeah. see. It's not like the nasty French. But you said punterelle. That's kind well, of, I didn't know I, you were asking me for oh, my um, proprio <laughs> yeah, italiana. Yeah. Italiano, certo, okay. certamente. Um, oh, so, uh, the you're are you doing like the anchovy vinaigrette sort of thing on that? I am, yeah. with a little ice cube even. But wait, you are not having punterelle here. I don't do anchovies. Oh. Yeah, that's like I said. It's but a, it's you a, don't a, even have the grain. I mean the green. You can get punterelle mm. now and then, here and there. Yeah, no. I mean, it seems like you can at the market now and then, in the spring, certain time of year. You've seen the real deal with that? I thought I do. I mean, I see it on menus here and there. I don't order it because I, I just ignore it because I don't want the anchovy dressing. So I You've don't, been I to don't, Rome. You've had the true Yeah, but I don't, but I don't, that's one of those things I don't, I just, it's, that's not on my radar. So mm-hmm. I could be wrong. I just, but I've seen it on menus, whether it's the real, real deal, I don't know. Cardoons you don't see in America. Oh, we get them all the time. Really? Yeah. All right. We're living in different different <laughs> yeah. universities. Uh, Beefsteak or sun gold? I'm beefsteak. See, really? Yeah. Why? Sun golds are so good. Sun golds are always good. Because I'm from New Jersey. We I knew you were going to do that. Yeah. Incredible. I knew, I knew you were going to say that. Beefsteak. Yeah, but like for tomato. one month a year. Yeah. Well. Well. <laughs> deal with it. You didn't say um, November or <laughs> August. Vespa or Cinquecento? <laughs> well, I'm a Vespa driver. Are you really? In the States even? I mean, I haven't done it here in a while, but whenever I go there, I rent one. Go there. Oh, that's cool. You wear a helmet, I help. Yeah. Yeah. Jerk, of course. <laughs> <laughs> With those crazy Romans. <laughs> All right. Final question. And this is an interesting one because, like I said, you're, you have like, your heart's kind of in Italy, but I've been to Prune before and I know how you cook. Butter or olive oil? Butter. Wow. You're just like, I love you, Italy, but I'm not, not giving you this one. You know, the butter, um, it's how I grew up. It makes me feel very well. It's so funny. When I was at Yado, I was um, having trouble with getting enough fat because wow. the camp cook, I think, wanted to please everyone. And in so doing, I think pleased Always a big no mistake. one. Yeah. Right. And so um, none of the things had fat in it or salt or because it didn't want to offend anyone. And I guess you could have added those things later. But I found myself in my room putting a slab of culture butter on a rye cracker with tons of black pepper and making a sandwich for lunch. I was just, I ate like... A stick of butter. <laughs> I need <laughs> butter. Like, I need some freaking fat. <laughs> and on that note, uh, well, Gabrielle, thank you so much for stopping by. You can check out Gabrielle Hamilton on Mind of a Chef in early September. If you haven't read Blood, Bones, and Butter, I would highly, highly, highly recommend it. And you can pick up the Prune Cookbook. That's about it. Man, we hit all the bases. This is so good. Thank all you. Right. All right. Thank you, Gabby. <laughs> Bye-bye. Can I call you Gabby? No one calls you Gabby, right? I will hit you. Yeah. I was like, wait, no one calls her Gabby. <laughs> you can, but it'll <laughs> hurt. <laughs> All right, that was Gabrielle. Don't call.
call her Gabby Hamilton. And right now, we're going to talk a little golf as we gear up to head to Kohler, Wisconsin for the PGA Championship at Whistling Straits, where we are throwing a groovy food festival with chefs like John Besh from New Orleans and Amanda Freytag from here in New York City. Uh, And joining me now is World Golf Hall of Famer and the fittest man in the world, Gary Player. Adam, it's a pleasure, and I look forward to our chat. Uh, Yes, and we are going to start chatting. So I think a lot of people are probably wondering, why do we have a golfer on a food podcast? Well, I'm going to tell you, the Wikipedia tells me you're 79 years old. I I don't believe that. Well, I'll be 80 in a few months. Because you're looking too too damn good, too damn fit, and and, and might I add, you've got amazing hair for a guy any age. How do you know it's my own hair? (laughs) That's true. Um, but inter- interestingly, uh, like I said, you won nine major championships, a career grand, grand slam, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and one of your keys to success over all these years has been fitness. And, and you are someone who could speak to health and diet and, and fitness regime better than probably, I imagine probably any of us at, at Bon Appetit. And, and how do you do it at age 79? How do you stay so fit? How do you look so good? What is, what is your routine? And is, is it exercise or is it diet? And what do you put first? That's a very hard question to say. I have to give them 50-50. Mm-hmm. Uh, one week, I think it's the food. Yeah. For me, uh, who need, I need to be, and I'm, I'm, I'm close to 80, I'm still playing some tournaments, playing well, and I need energy because I'm traveling around the world, and I'm more busy at 80 than I was when I was 25. You're, you're, you're one of these ceremonial starters at the Masters Tournament, EJ yes. Brown. You're smacking it out there on the yeah. first tee. How, how far? First tee? Well, I hit it 250 yards, and I still average my score. My average score is 70. Yeah. So I beat my age by 10 shots every time I play, basically. And what's fascinating, you know, it's a cliche, but healthy body, healthy mind. And, and I'm just speaking personally. On, on the days where I have time to go to the gym in the morning or at lunch, it's amazing the energy and clarity I have when I approach my work day. Like, I, I just feel so much better. I bring a sort of enthusiasm to the office. I don't normally, if, if it's those days where I'm just running and taking my kid to school and don't have a chance to work out. Um it's fascinating the difference it does make. Well, Vincent Peale said enthusiasm is one of the great essences of life. What's your average day go like in terms of what you eat? Well, first of all, I have a, a very big breakfast and a very big lunch, and I have two nights a week when I'm on my ranch. No dinner. Wow. I think the dinner is the poison. Mm. You have but it's so good, dinners. though. But it tastes so sure, good. Sure, it's good. But, you know, that's <laughs> what they're going to say when you die. They're going to say, gee, Adam, you look so good, but you're fat as a pig. Right, so the big thing is, you got to have small dinners. Right, you don't, big breakfast. What's your big breakfast? Well, first of all, I I'm not. I don't want to be sued by anybody oh, no. saying that things are poison. But I wouldn't give my dog or myself bacon. I think. Wow. For me, Ooh. for me, I think that. But it tastes so good. But there you go again. You <laughs> see. So I took an oath about 14 years ago never to have a piece of bacon or a glass of milk. I never had a glass of milk yeah, in my life. Anyway. Kids, kids stuff. Yeah. So, so what? So what do you eat on an average day? How do you start your day? What do you eat? First eating? thing. A glass of juice grown on my ranch. In South Africa? Yes, which is pure. And what's in this juice? Spinach, cabbage, broccoli, garlic, onions, carrots, all the greens. And I swallow that down. Wow. And then I no, have- no, no fruit in there to sweeten it no, up just I've, a little bit? No, but I put a little apple in there. Apple, okay. Yep. Yes, because yeah, it does helps. get a bit bitter. Yeah. But anything is good for my system. I don't mind if it's bitter. Yeah. So then I start off and I have a lovely bowl of mixed fruit, okay, and which is great, also grown on my ranch. 
And then I have two eggs. When's the invitation to the ranch coming? <laughs> <laughs> Once you come there, you'll never come yeah. back here. <laughs> so uh, then I have uh, two eggs. How do, you, how do you like your eggs? I like them over easy. And then I have some whole wheat toast. What do you put on the toast? I put on some butter. Some butter, okay. Yes, Good. I put butter on. Then uh, some mornings, and I'm not a great yogurt fan, but some mm. mornings I have a little bit of yogurt and I put cinnamon on, which mm. is so good for you, yeah. and honey. Nice. And it's delicious. Uh, and then I have a, I, I never had a cup of coffee till I was 70. Wow. Because coffee obviously got you a little shaky yeah, when yeah. you're playing golf. You've got to be steady. You've got to have soft hands. So, so, like, so for you, do you, what time is breakfast and do you work out before or after breakfast? No, I get up at 5 o'clock on the wow. ranch. And then I uh, go to the gym and then I go and work on the ranch. Now I come back and I'm hungry. Let me ask you a question. So I know your older brother was in the military, correct? He was at 17 years of age from South Africa. He went to join the Americans and the British in the last World War. 17. 17. That's incredible. And so did you, where did you, do you think you got some of this almost military-like work ethic from him? The fact that you wake up at 5 a.m. and commit yourself? Did he inspire you to sort of to work hard and, and, and be focused? Yes, he said to me, he made me promise before he went to war that I would exercise for the rest of my life because he said, what do you want to do? I said, I want to be a professional athlete. I didn't know I wanted to be a golfer, and I've adhered to that promise. Yeah. Today, I'm, as I say, I'm just on 80. I do 1,300 sit-ups. That's insane. I do the last 200 with a 100-pound weight on my chest. That's even crazier. I run in the treadmill at 16, and I push 410 pounds with my legs. So my body, I'm 80 but I'm really only 30. Yeah. So let me ask you a question. So what gave you the confidence? You're you're not a big guy. You're 5'7", about 156. 152. 100, yeah. What made you think that you could be a professional athlete? These days you got to be, you know, you look at LeBron James or whomever, yeah. and you've got to be this Adonis mm-hmm. and six foot four. What made you think this little guy from South Africa could be a, a pro athlete? Well, first of all, dynamite is so small. So it's not the size, it's what's inside of you. You're an inspiration, Gary. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, congratulations on almost being 80 and, and, and looking 30. Um, Thank you. Yeah, this, is, this has been awesome. A pleasure of mine. Uh, Gary Player, ladies and gentlemen, Hall of Famer, nine-time major champion. I'm Adam Rappaport. Thank you for listening to the Bon Appetit Foodcast. The Bon Appetit Foodcast is recorded to a digital device in the small conference room on the 36th floor of One World Trade Center in New York City. Our engineer is Mitra Kaboli, with production assistance from Bill Cushing and Kerry Polis, and is produced by Scott DeSimon. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, or at bonappetit.com.